few weeks ago, Pastor Chad gave us a brilliant picture in a message from Genesis about forgiveness and reconciliation as he talked to us about Jacob and Esau. And what he encouraged us to do is to um, bury the hatchet with somebody. I don't know if you were here, you probably remember this uh, illustration. He, he, he used an illustration from Native American Indians. Uh, a, a term came down to us from them about making peace, and it's to bury the hatchet. And Chad said, you know, I used to think that bury the hatchet meant put the hatchet in a, a stump or a log or a tree, and, and that's bearing the hatchet. The problem with this is the hatchet is still readily accessible. <laughs> I mean, you can grab it, and you can go to war with somebody. And so as he said, he did a little research on this. He, he found out that what bury the hatchet really means is bury the hatchet. In other words, you dig a hole in the ground, you put the hatchet there, and then you cover it with dirt. And this is what American Indians used to do when they were trying to build peace with somebody, when they were trying to reconcile with a warring tribe. They literally would bury the hatchet. And Chad challenged us to think about a relationship where things aren't going well and bury the hatchet with that person. In fact, he said, let's do a little twist on the ALS ice bucket challenge. Let's do a dirt bucket challenge. Let's actually bury the hatchet with somebody. And then he put out a real stiff challenge. And that is, in the next 60 minutes, I want you to move towards somebody you're not doing well with. Uh, send them a text. Uh, call them on the phone. Uh, go visit them. Uh, write them a note. Grab a cup of coffee with them. I mean, do something in order to bury the hatchet with somebody and do it in the next 60 minutes. And some of you actually did it. You weren't just hearers of the word. You were doers too. Let me just give you one story. As I sat in church listening to Pastor Chad a few weeks ago, many names came rushing to me. I prayed about one name over and over and asked God to help me find the words to ask for forgiveness from this one particular person. I've often said I will not ever win Mother of the Year. Before Christ, I yelled, hollered, and ranted because that was how I was raised. I did exactly that to my daughter. After I left her biological father, it was her and me against the world. I took a lot of what I was going through out on her. I didn't stand for backtalking or a messy room or any type of bad behavior. You would have thought that I was in the military with how our home was run. Over and over, I asked God for the words to help me ask my own baby girl, now in her 20s, to forgive me for the years of bad parenting. The words stuck in my throat, but I knew I had to ask, would you forgive me for not always being the best mom, for the bad choices along the way of how I raised you, and for causing heartbreak and hurt? I told her I didn't expect her to give me an answer right then and there, and that I knew it was possible she might not ever forgive me. Her answer, Mommy, I love you lots, and I forgive you. Listen, you know, good things happen when we obey the Lord and when we bury the hatchet. And God is at work here 
in our church. He is changing lives. He has given people new life in Christ. How about you? And how about me? See, we don't want to miss this because God's favor flows to those who forgive. But when we don't forgive, we block the flow of God's favor in our lives. So who has hurt you? Or who have you hurt? And what is it that tempts you to be bitter and unforgiving and resentful? And what might have to happen in that relationship for reconciliation to take place before it's too late? Will you bury the hatchet? Now, as we continue in our series in the book of Genesis, we're going to see another story about forgiveness and reconciliation. This time is from the life of a man named Joseph, a man that went from a place of privilege in his family to a pit, literally, to a prison, and then to a platform, a place of influence and blessing. He obviously had God's favor on his life. Why? Well, connect the dots between his forgiveness and the favor of God. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. We're going to jump right into the story, and then we're going to let Joseph unpack it for us. When Joseph learned that there was grain for sale, or excuse me, when Jacob, that's his father, learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. There was a famine in Canaan. And so go to Egypt and get some food. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, his full brother, with his brothers, with his half-brothers, for he, Jacob, feared that harm might happen to him, to Benjamin. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Now, what if Joseph were to somehow come here today and tell us his story? I mean, what might that be like? Uh, what might he say? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to let Joseph tell his story. And you can follow along if you like from Genesis 42 to 45, or you can just sit back and listen. And as you sit back and listen, you're going to discover some insights for your own life about forgiveness and reconciliation. Because you see, God's favor flows to those who forgive. It's a cup. It's a chalice. Mine. Second in command of all of Egypt. And this little chalice plays a small part in a big story of forgiveness and reconciliation and how God's people were saved from destruction. I uh, come from a dysfunctional family. I mean, you think your family's dysfunctional? I had 10 half-brothers, three stepmothers, 
My own mother died. A full brother and a dad, all living in the same house. Mass chaos. And you know what? I was my daddy's favorite. I was the one he loved. In fact, he made for me a very special coat. Uh, they call it a coat of many colors. And my 10 half-brothers, they could not stand the sight of me. And I loved to rub it in. I must say that I kind of enjoyed it. In fact, I had a dream one time. And in my dream, I dreamed that my brothers bowed down before me. I should have kept it to myself, but I didn't. I just had to tell them. And it made me hate. It made them hate me more. Well, one day, my dad sent me out on a trip uh, to visit my brothers who were out taking care of our flocks. And they saw me coming from a distance. And I didn't know they hated me so bad. But they said, this is our chance to get rid of our brother. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. And so they grabbed me and they threw me into a pit. And then they were making their plans. How they're going to kill me. What they're going to tell my dad how I died the hands of a wild animal or something. One of my brothers said, oh, no, 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 let's don't kill him. And instead, let's sell him. And, and there happened to be a, a caravan of Midianites coming by through the land of Canaan on the way to Egypt. And so they sold me to the Midianites. When I got to Egypt, they sold me to this man named Potiphar. So I became a slave, forsaken by my brothers and sold as a slave. You know, I, I remembered the stories that my dad used to tell about God, how God came through for him in difficult times, and somehow I was able to draw on that strength. And I thought, well, you know, if God came through for my dad, maybe God will come through for me. So even though I was sold as a slave, somehow I still maintained some type of relationship with God. And you know what? God favored me because I quickly rose in the estimation of my new master, Potiphar. And he put me in charge of his whole household. The favor of God was on my life. But Potiphar's wife, I guess she wasn't happy in the marriage. She was an unfulfilled woman. And she uh, pursued me over and over and over again. I kept saying, no, no, no. And so one time, Potiphar was gone. And she caught me in the house, and she said, go to bed with me. Sleep with me. And I said, I can't do that. How can I sin against God, and how can I sin against my master? I won't do it. And so I ran. And when I ran away, she grabbed my cloak. And then when Potiphar came home, she said, that young man, your favorite, Joseph, he tried to rape me. Potiphar believed his wife and not me. He was so angry. How could you do this after I put you in charge of my whole household? And he threw me into prison. I mean, from a place of privilege to a pit to a prison. And, and this is no cakewalk prison. This is third world prison. This is tough. And there I languished year after year after year. And still somehow, I kind of kept in contact with the God of my father. And somehow, 
the God of my father continued to favor me so that the jailer elevated me to being a guy that had responsibility in charge of all the other prisoners. So there I am in jail. Thirteen years. Thirteen years. I thought, well, this never end. God gave me the ability to interpret some dreams. And one time, Pharaoh, the king of all of Egypt, had a dream that no one could interpret. And someone in Pharaoh's household said, I know a guy that can interpret dreams. His name's Joseph. He's in prison. So they grabbed me out of prison. <laughs> they cleaned me all up because, man, I smelled bad and I looked worse. And, and then they cleaned me up and, and, and there I'm brought in before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he explained to me the dream. And yeah, God gave me favor and God gave me insight. And so I said, there will be seven years, dream means this, seven years of plenty. You'll have lots of grain, lots of crops, lots of produce, lots of good stuff, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. The king goes, I don't know, what should I do? <laughs> I I took a risk. I said, let me, let me suggest a plan. During the seven years of plenty, why don't you just collect everything and store everything so that you'll have enough for the seven years of famine? And I guess it's just another sign of the favor of God in my life because the king then said, great plan, you're in charge. Me? I've been in prison. I'm in charge. I'm, I'm like second in command of all the land. It's hard to believe, but that's exactly what happened to me. So we went through the seven years of plenty, and we stored all kinds of food. And then the famine hit, and people began to come to the palace. And one day, I couldn't believe my eyes because my ten brothers walked through the door. I mean, they didn't know who I was. I mean, I didn't look anything like I looked before. I mean, I'm all decked out in Egyptian garb. And I'm speaking the Egyptian language. And so they walk in, and I had a heart to forgive them, but I wasn't sure that I could trust them. So I didn't let them know who I was. I said, who are you? Tell me about your family. Where are you from? Oh, well, we're from Canaan. Uh, we're 12 brothers. One's at home and one is no more. And of course, they were talking about me. And I said, well, I don't believe you. I think you guys are spies. And so I threw them in jail for three days. When I let them out, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you go home. And you take the food back to your families, but one of you is going to have to stay with me. So I kept Simeon with me and sent the rest of them back home with their bags overflowing with food. They even put their money back in the mouths of their bags. When they went home, I said to them, if you come back here again, and I knew they would because more famine was coming, you better bring back your little brother. Benjamin, my full brother, the one I love. So when they went back, they, they had this conversation 
with my father, with Jacob. And they said, when we go back, we got to take Benjamin. He said, you can't take Benjamin back because I've already lost Joseph and I want to lose Benjamin too. But the famine continued and they got hungry again. They knew there was food in Egypt and so they were able to prevail upon my dad. Look, Reuben said, if, 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 if you go back, then if we go back and we take Benjamin with us, then, you know, you, you can have my kids. Let's do anything. Let's just get back there. So they came back. Benjamin was with them. I let Simeon out of prison. And again, I wasn't sure that I could test them. So I sent them out with food in their bags. And I put my chalice in Benjamin's bag. And I, and I sent my servants after them on the road. And I said, whoever has my chalice, my cup in their bag, will come back here and be my slave. Well, of course, they found the chalice in Benjamin's bag. They brought him back. And they said, you can't keep Benjamin. If you keep Benjamin, our poor father will die back in Canaan. And Judah said, I'll take his place. Keep me instead. And as soon as I understood, these guys have really changed. They're not going to do to Benjamin what they did to me. I could contain myself no more. And so I cried out, I am Joseph. How's my father? And they were stunned. They didn't believe me. I mean, how could they believe me? I look so different. I sounded so different. No, no, I'm Joseph. I'm speaking the Hebrew language now. It, it's me. Come close. Look in my eyes. Listen to my voice. It's me. And they were terrified. What's he going to do to us? He's like the second most powerful man in the world. How's he going to pay us back? And I said, listen, listen. Yeah, you guys meant to hurt me. But God's been involved in this the whole time. Because there are five more years of famine to come. And you won't make it in Canaan. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. I want you to get your wives. I want you to get your children. I want you to get your grandchildren. I want you to get your flocks and your herds. And I want you to come back and live with me. And oh yeah, go get dad and bring him back. Because God has sent me ahead of you to keep all of us alive. I learned that God is a God of forgiveness. And God is a God of reconciliation. And if there is hope for me and for my family, you know what? There's hope for you. I'm not a perfect person. Not at all. <laughs> I've learned this, that if we will do the hard work of forgiveness, that God's favor will flow in our lives. See, the favor of God flows to those who forgive. I just think that's an amazing story. 
But it's not just a story in the Bible. This, this is a story for you and for me to put into practice. And as Chad said just a few weeks ago, this topic of forgiveness and reconciliation, it makes some of us squirm, maybe even churn on the inside. And you know what that is? That is your heart wrestling with God because God is saying to you, bury the hatchet with someone in your life, but you're telling him why you shouldn't do it. You're telling him why it's not possible. Reconciliation is a supernatural work. It is a spiritual work, and it takes a spiritual touch in your heart and in the hearts of the other person for it to happen. And so that's why it is good to wrestle with God about this. So Joseph, he goes from place of privilege into a pit, into a prison, and ultimately to a platform because he had God's favor. But you don't get God's favor if you have an unforgiving heart. So, so from Joseph's story, I've got four questions I want to ask you quickly today from this story. Number one, am I self-focused or spirit-filled? See, if you are focused on yourself, you will never forgive. Forgiveness is supernatural. It requires that we be filled with the Spirit of God. And that is true for Joseph. After he had interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh saw the supernatural work of God's Spirit in Joseph's life. And listen to Genesis 41, 38. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, like Joseph, in whom is the Spirit of God? He said, Well, do this because he's filled with the Spirit of God. You want to know how Joseph could deal with being forsaken and framed and forgotten? It's the Holy Spirit of God at work in his life. And sometimes people say, oh, I'm just filled with the Spirit today. Don't talk about how filled with the Spirit you are. Show us how filled with the Spirit you are. Show us by forgiving. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, even when or especially when you've been hurt. You've been hurt? You filled with the Spirit? then love and joy and peace come out, even when, especially when, you've been hurt. Maybe you walk through these doors today feeling sorry for yourself. You used to be this, this amazing servant to other people. You just love to help other people, but now you can't just seem to get out of yourself. Your parents don't understand you. Your friends don't call you. They don't encourage you. Somebody intentionally hurt you, and they don't even care and you feel alone, you feel abandoned, and God brought you here today to say, let my spirit fill your heart. Stop focusing on you and start focusing on me, and I will restore your peace and your joy and your love, even though you've been hurt, and I will birth forgiveness in you, and then you will know my favor. Am I self-focused or spirit-filled? Second question, am I sour or sweet? So what's happened in your life? How have you been treated unjustly, and now you're ticked about it, and you can't let it go? Are you sour or sweet? You know, I asked this same question just a few weeks ago in a message about Esau, 
He allowed the problems and the difficulties and the wounds of his life to make him bitter, not better. Joseph, though, because he was filled with the Spirit, became sweet and not sour. And you know what? The sweetness in his life, it was attractive. It attracted the favor of people, and it attracted the favor of God. Look at Genesis 39, verse 4. Joseph found, here's our word, favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. That's when he was a slave. Now he's in prison. Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The problems in his life, they didn't make him bitter. They made him better. See, anger and resentment, if it's left unchecked, it's going to grow like a weed in the soil of our souls. Bitterness will cause us trouble, and it will cause everybody around us trouble. But if we will let go of our bitterness, we will open ourselves up to receive the blessing and the favor of God. And maybe you showed up here today and you're resentful. You feel like you've been cheated somehow. Your boss didn't give you the raise that you deserved. Your parents treated your siblings better than they treated you. A friend lied about you and a friend betrayed you. So now you're sulking and you're just kind of perpetually ticked. You're a sour person. You're not as close to God as you used to be. And God brought you here today to say, it's time for you to let go of your bitterness. God says, let me make you sweet. Let me, make, let me pour out my favor on your life. Am I sour or sweet? Third question, am I a bother or a blessing? Am I a bother to other people or am I a blessing to other people? See, when we are hurt, we are tempted to do the you hurt me, now I hurt you, payback deal. We try to take matters in our own hands. We want to somehow be a bother to the other person. God says, no, 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 you bless, you pay back evil with good. And I want you to notice what Joseph does with his brothers. Genesis 45, verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, he says to his brothers, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. So what are you supposed to do when you are treated unjustly? You're supposed to respond with a blessing. Joseph says, five more years of famine are on the way. You come with me, and my blessings are your blessings, and my favor is your favor. I mean, it's normal for us to stay awake at night and think about ways to pay back, right? But we have been called to live super normal, supernatural lives. And you can do things that no normal person can do because you've been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive people. Blessed people bless people. Nancy Lee DeMoss wrote a great book. Chad mentioned it when he taught here a few weeks ago. It's called Choosing Forgiveness. Let me just read a little bit out of this book to you. I want you, once again, for a moment to go through the mental exercise of identifying your offenders. Get them in your mind. See their faces. Hear their names. The people who have given you the hardest time in trying to let go and forgive. I want you to back away far enough from the achy feelings that may even still resonate within you, and I want you to see that person as someone in need. 
When that person hurt you, that mate, that boyfriend, that parent, that ex-spouse, that college roommate, that aunt or uncle, that stranger who came out of nowhere to mar your life, he revealed that he has a need, a need that he or she misappropriated at your expense. Do you want to fully experience the freedom of forgiveness? Then ask God to show you the real need in that offender's life. Then ask God how he might want to use you to meet that need. Does that sound too hard in your case? It should. It's much too hard. If we were ever in need of the Holy Spirit to enable us to obey His Word, this is it. It doesn't have to be spectacular. It may be simply using kind words to respond to hateful ones. It may be a specially prepared meal or doing one of those household chores you know she detests, even a gift certificate to a favorite restaurant or a love note tucked in the sock drawer. See where God directs you to go next until you actually begin finding joy, His joy in blessing someone who treated you so badly. Because in doing so, you will be overcoming evil with good. Am I a bother or a blessing? Last question. Am I self-protective or God-dependent? We have to remember that when it comes to the hurt and abuse and the injustice that we face, God is in it. Joseph, yes, was forsaken and framed and forgotten by people, but in and through it all, Joseph saw God. Look at Genesis 45, 5. He says to his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve life. 45, 7, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. 45, 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. We are only going to be able to move out of our past pain when we embrace that pain as part of God's plan. God's in charge of our ups and downs. God's in charge of our hurts and healings. God's in charge of our demotions and promotions. Later in the story, after Joseph's dad had died and his brothers are afraid that Joseph is now going to turn on them and get revenge, Joseph comforts them. And look at what he says. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I love the fact Joseph didn't try to resolve this issue between human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Hey, you did me wrong and you're responsible. That's true. But God was in charge the whole time. That's true too. Joseph saw the secondary cause. His brother sinned against him, sold him into slavery, but he also saw the primary cause. Even when he was in the pit and the prison, God was working the whole time to place him on a platform to give him a position of power that would save his family from starvation. See, God is going to use the evil that's committed against you for good. How? I don't know how, but I do know you can trust him. Romans 8, 28, we know that God calls us all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Forgiveness comes a whole lot easier when we understand that God's going to use the hurts of your, for your own good and for His own glory. Your ability to forgive and seeing the sovereignty of God in your life are inexorably connected. So what hurts have happened to you? Yeah, somebody's wronged you, but 
You can't see beyond the hurt. You're bitter, perhaps, because you're fixated on the secondary cause, and you're missing the primary cause. You're missing God. And God brought you here today to remind you, let it go. Because I have been at work in your life the whole time. Will you trust me, he says. Am I self-protective or God dependent? You know what? This reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers took over 20 years to happen. See, if the other person is not ready to reconcile, trying to force the issue could even cause more damage. God commands us to forgive others, but he never told us to keep trusting others that are not worthy of our trust. So forgiveness doesn't mean that you just keep letting the hurt happen over and over again. It's not saying what you did is okay, so go ahead and walk all over me again. Joseph tested his brothers to see if he could reconcile. He'd already done the hard work of forgiveness. But now can I enter into a relationship that's safe? That's why Chad recommended the book Boundaries to us last time. Lay it all down. Bury the hatchet. You do that by spending time in the presence of God. And you ask him to dig out every root, every thought, every fear, every lingering shred of resentment and pain in your life. How could Joseph do this? Well, right here he reflects the heart of God. He reflects the image of God. How do we get the fuel, the ability, the desire to do all of this? We get it from Jesus because you see Joseph here is a picture of Jesus. Joseph actually points us to Jesus because like Joseph, Jesus was beloved by his father. Like Joseph, Jesus was sent by his father to care for his brothers. Like Joseph, Jesus was despised and rejected by his brothers. Like Joseph, Jesus resisted temptation and sin. And like Joseph, Jesus was falsely accused. He was arrested. He suffered unjustly. And then he was raised to a position of power and authority. Like Joseph, Jesus saved his people from destruction. That's you and me. Like Joseph, Jesus was reunited with his father. Like Joseph, Jesus forgave the ones who hurt him. And Jesus had the favor of man and the favor of God. See, Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ because he's telling us that the only way you can forgive like this, the only way you can have the favor of God like this is through Jesus. So do you have new life in Christ? Really? If you do, then you can and you will forgive. You're going to bury the hatchet. Today's truth, God's favor flows toward those who forgive. You know, when you came in, you received a program. Then the program, there's a tear-off portion, so you can let us know what God's doing in your life. And for some of you today, you need to take that very first step to Jesus Christ. you got to put your faith and trust in Christ, because you'll never get the favor of God, and you'll never be able to forgive, and you'll never be able to reconcile without Christ. You need new life in Christ. And on the screen, there's a prayer that you could pray. Heavenly Father, I realize that I'm a sinner. Would you pray this today? You know who you, you, know who you are who needs to pray this. I realize I'm a sinner. I've been self-focused, bitter, and unforgiving. I've been living without your favor. Please forgive me. 
I believe Jesus died on the cross in my place for my sin. I believe he rose again. And I believe by trusting Jesus, I could be forgiven by you. Because I've been forgiven much, I forgive those who hurt me. Pour out your favor on my life. Does that prayer express the desire of your heart? If it does, pray it now. Today's the day for you. And if you've prayed it, check that box. I've I've given my heart to Christ today. And many of us in this room, you need to check that next box because it says, today God has placed someone on my heart to reconcile with. And so in the next 60 minutes, I commit to make contact with him or her in the prayerful hope of reconciliation. Lord God, I thank you that you brought us here today. Thank you for an amazing story from an amazing man, Joseph. Forsaken, framed, forgotten, yet still forgiving. A man who knew your favor, who went from a place of privilege to a pit, to a prison, to a platform. God, you're preparing a platform for all of us here because we've all been hurt. We can all forgive and we can all experience your favor and leverage that fruit in our lives for your glory. So would you make it so, please, in Jesus' name?